0: This is American Real, where we aim to inspire,
1: empower, and enlighten you through the stories of our guests. Here's your host, Roger Brooks. Racism needs to stop, and people need to be held accountable. It just cannot continue like this. And if we don't speak up it's never going
2: to end. I want people to understand the case that we're talking about and the and the facts of this case. So, um back on February the 23rd, there was a young man who was jogging through the Scintilla Shores neighborhood in Brunswick. His name is Amon
0: Aubrey. But we have the power with the people to be able to do so. Therefore, uncovering the many acts of racism and the acts of favoritism that happens within our justice system, uh, he was
2: confronted by two armed individuals and one that was recording this incident. He was subsequently shot three times with a shotgun and succumbed to his injuries right there on the side of the road.
3: Oh, It's, it's heart-wrenching and it's, it, it, it really takes a toll on the legitimacy of, of the legal system, particularly in South Georgia. Uh, for 74 days, um, his blood
2: uh, cried out, and his body cried out for justice. His mother heard the cries. The Brunswick chapter, the NAACP heard the cries, and then ultimately the world heard the cries once they saw the video. If we never saw the video, I don't think
4: anything ever would have been done. I think this young man would have been gone and his mother just would have been left to grieve by herself. And to me, that is
2: unacceptable. And we're talking about justice and the call for justice. And that call for justice starts with accountability for all of the players in the criminal justice system that failed Ahmad Arbery, and that's why we're having this conversation today.
1: We need to make some changes, folks, in our world, and we need to make some changes in our country, and we need to make changes in the South and in the North. It doesn't matter where you are, where you live. It starts at home.
5: To achieve justice, it takes more than just isolated groups. It
2: takes unity. I'm sitting here watching an African-American male who is jogging down the street be executed in real time. Because when we
6: looked at that video, I know we had to look at it twice. Being black, you looked at that video two
2: times before you said what happened or is it real? After the video came out, folks were trying to justify it.
1: We cannot let this continue. This is American Real TV. I am Roger Brooks. My guests today are the panel, and uh, I'm first going to start off with Reverend Pharrell Malone. We are um, organizing a panel today called Justice for a Reverend, welcome to the show. And please introduce yourself, and then we'll let the panel introduce. Thank you so very much.
0: Uh, my name is Pharrell Malone. I'm pastor of Macedonia Missionary Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I'm the Southern Regional Georgia uh, president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And we are leading an effort to make sure we have justice for Ahmad.
6: I am Michaela Clark Brockington. I'm a mother, wife, um, daughter. I am the NAACP vice president for Coffee County, Douglas, Georgia branch. I'm also the state community coordinator for the State Conference of Georgia NAACP.
3: Hello, everyone. My name is Anthony Demetrius Causer. I'm a 25 year old resident of Waycross, Georgia. A three-year law student at Louisiana State University, and a summer intern with the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund.
4: Hello, everyone. My name is Natasha Fabian, and I am a mother. I have two children, and I live in Georgia, originally from New York. And I am here to do everything I can to assist, volunteering um, whatever it takes to help get justice for Amadi Avery.
2: How are you doing, everybody? I'm attorney Gerald Griggs, a justice fighter. I am the first vice president of the Atlanta chapter of the NAACP and the former third vice president of the state conference of the NAACP here in Georgia. I'm also a practicing attorney in civil rights and um, criminal defense, and I am just a part of this organizing space here in Georgia for
1: justice for Ahmad. Reverend, we're going to go back to you. Can you please give us really the objective of what you and your group here is trying to accomplish, what you would like to accomplish on on today's panel, and how we could help uh, spread the word about getting justice for Ahmad. Great, thank you
0: so very much, uh, Roger, for allowing us to be uh, participate on this platform and all of the platforms that you represent. What what our concerns are and what our desire is is to bring justice for Ahmad, and and that being. Uh, we are in the Waycross Judicial Circuit. The Waycross Judicial Circuit has six counties of Ware and Charlton and Brantley and Pierce and Bacon and Coffee counties. Those make up the judicial circuit for which jo- George E. Barnhill Sr. is uh, the district attorney. Barnhill Sr. is the district attorney that Jackie Johnson, who's a district attorney in Brunswick, Uh, she recused herself and brought in George Barnhill Sr. as the district attorney in the case. Uh, What they did is is George Barnhill Sr., his son, works for Jackie Johnson, uh, George Barnhill Jr., in uh, the Glenn County Brunswick Judicial Circuit, and McMichaels uh, the, the, the one who pulled the trigger uh, to kill uh, Ahmad Arbery worked for that particular office. And basically, we are calling for the recall of George Barnhill Sr. Because there are two things that took place that were totally out of order. Number one, when uh, Arbery's mother revealed the fact that George Barnhill Sr.'s son worked in that particular office, he recused himself in a letter. But in the same letter, he chose to give an opinion on the case. Now, my understanding of recusal is that you take your hands off, that you render no opinion, you, you render no recommendations. He basically recused himself, and in the next paragraph, gave his scenario an opinion on the case. Therefore halting any arrest that would take place because of that opinion. So therefore, he obstructed justice. Our our aim and our direct deliverable from this effort is to have George E. Barnhill Sr. removed. Uh, there are certain procedures that we can go. We can write the governor. We can write him directly. We can write the Bar Association. And we can uh, write the the, the Justice Department in Washington and ask that they investigate. And the Georgia uh, is beginning to investigate itself. But what we don't want to happen is six months, eight months, two years from now, they come back and said, we find no fault. And therefore he remains in. We have the constitutional authority in those six counties of the White Cross Judicial Circuit. According to the Georgia constitution, 30% of the registered voters on the day in which he was originally elected, can sign a petition and pull, declare the office vacant. So rather than begging folk to do what they ought to do, we're taking it into our constitutional hands, the rights of our democracy to yank him out of office and to make that office open so that there's someone who could go in who will show a level of fairness. And the real point that I wanna make sure we do, by pulling him out, we will uncover the systemic racism that exists not only in the White Cross Judicial Circuit, but in so many other judicial, judicial circuits. So we want to give citizens a map and a plan by which they can uh, 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 adequately and sufficiently remove those in office who have violated their oath of office. Yes, the governor should pull him out. Yes, the attorney general should investigate. Yes, the the, uh, the Washington DC should pull him out, but we have the power with the people to be able to do so. Therefore, uncovering the many acts of racism and the acts of favoritism that happens within our justice system, we hope to set the map for maybe Glenn County can then do the same thing to Jackie Johnson and any other county, any other area that has elected officials who have forgotten who put them there and who have not held themselves accountable to the the to the oath of office. So that's what we want. We want to uncover and we wanna we wanna correct, and therefore we wanna bring justice for Ahmad because we pray that this uncovering, that his blood will not shed needlessly on the streets of Brunswick, Georgia. His blood is crying out right now for justice. And so therefore we will in every way possible, push forward, stay focused, stay continuous, and make sure that there is justice for Ahmad.
1: So Reverend, let me just ask a simple question. I'm, I, I live in New York myself, so I'm not familiar with all the territories and counties and whatnot. But has anyone brought up the fact that, you know, this is too close to home for this jurisdiction to to try this case um, and, and potentially move it to another jurisdiction? Has that been br- brought well,
0: And I think attorney can bring a little bit more light on that. But what I understand is they moved it to the next judicial circuit. That was a direct plan. That was a cover-up. Barnhill never intended for that letter to be in the public domain. That was a letter that was supposed to stay in the file and justify the actions that were taking place. Since then, they moved it to a third district, which is Hinesville, which is right in close proximity. And as a result, they've now moved it to the district attorney of Cobb County, Georgia, who will be litigating on that particular case.
1: So, Attorney Griggs, can you shed a little light on that as well? Yeah. So, I mean, the procedural
2: posture of this case is it's gone through the hands of three um, district attorneys. First, it started with Jackie Johnson, who's a district attorney in Glenn County. Uh, her office found that they had a conflict. Uh, so they uh, the attorney general was written and he assigned it to George Barnhill, which is the next judicial circuit over. Um, he looked at the case. Of course, Jackie Johnson indicated that no charges should be filed. Uh, and then she turned it over to George Barnhill, who, after he recused himself in the second paragraph, issued his uh, legal opinion that no charges should be filed. Um, the mother uh, of Ahmad Arbery indicated that both uh, officers had conflicts and was one of the driving forces for the recusals. And then it was given to um, ADA Tom Durden, who was another judicial circuit uh, uh, away. Um, and it was determined that uh, he would turn the case over after the governor got the GBI involved, after he asked the GBI to come in, and was ultimately assigned to uh, Joyette Holmes, who's out of the um, Cobb County Judicial Circuit, which is here in Atlanta. Uh, so that's kind of the procedural posture. But I want people to understand the case that we're talking about and the and the facts of this case. So um, back on February the 23rd, there was a young man who was jogging through the Centilla Shores neighborhood in Brunswick. His name is Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, he was confronted by two armed individuals and one that was recording this incident. He was subsequently shot three times with a shotgun and succumbed to his injuries right there on the side of the road. Uh, for 74 days, um, his blood, uh, cried out and his body cried out for justice. His mother heard the cries. The Brunswick chapter, the NAACP heard the cries and then ultimately the world heard the cries once they saw the video uh, and once the state NAACP got involved, the national got involved. And so now we're here and we're talking about justice and the call for justice. And that call for justice starts with accountability for all of the players in the criminal justice system that failed Ahmad Arbery. And that's why we're having this conversation today.
1: The district attorney, uh, George. Barnhill, is he still involved with the case? No,
2: currently he has recused himself. So he's turned over the case. He turned it over to Tom Durden, who has now turned it over to uh, Joyette Holmes. But before he turned it over, he issued a legal opinion that he believed that the McMichaels, the individuals that are now accused of killing um, Ahmad Arbery, were legally justified under two statutes. One, which is the Georgia self-defense statute and two, which is the Georgia Citizen's Arrest Statute, and he offered an opinion uh, that no one should be arrested uh, in this case because they were protected by law.
1: So what does that mean exactly, the fact that he offered an opinion? What does that do to the case in general?
2: Well, at that point, he was the lead prosecutor, so he was the one that would determine whether or not this case would have been presented to a grand jury for a grand jury to charge these individuals. Now, that's kind of operating um, putting the cart before the horse, because usually in a case like this, the police would investigate. Uh, they would determine whether or not there's probable cause for an arrest. And then they would take that evidence to a magistrate court judge and the magistrate would issue a warrant for your arrest. And then you would appear before the magistrate on a first appearance hearing. And then you would have a preliminary hearing where the magistrate would determine whether or not there's probable cause. If there was probable cause under Georgia law, it would then be bound over to the superior court to be presented to a grand jury. So we skipped some essential steps under Jackie Johnson and under George Barnhill, where they injected their judgment into this case, uh, what I would say erroneously injected their judgment into the case, thus delaying the case for a substantial amount of time. And that's the reason why the GBI is involved and the FBI is involved to determine whether or not they violated their oath of office and they violated the law by injecting their opinion into the criminal justice process and thus preventing um, the McMichaels from being held accountable until the people got involved and started putting pressure on.
3: Precisely.
1: Okay. So let's get some other opinions in here. Anthony, you are a law student at this time and I know you're from the general vicinity where the, uh, murder took place. Can you please talk about your position on the panel here? Justice long delayed
3: is justice denied. Um, 74 days, 74 long days before arrests were made in the shooting death of Ahmaud Arbery, 74 days that Miss Wanda had to go and compel for justice to be provided, 74 days for organizations and the communities to rally behind um, the arrest of those who are involved with his murder. Um, so it's, it's heart wrenching and is, it, 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 really takes a toll on the legitimacy of, of the legal system, particularly in South Georgia. Um, the incident happening so close to home and, and right in your backyard makes it all the more, um, essential that you find answers, right? And in, in, in this given case, we, we see the truth. The accountability that has not been upheld by those who who had the case in the first hand, from Jackie Johnson to to George Barnhill, they have to face the ramifications of their actions. It and that is pretty much my position on it. Um, and I know that's the position that each organization, the individual has to seek that justice for not only a mom but his family as well.
1: Natasha, how how do you, does this make you feel as a mom? Um, you know, living in in the area that the justice did not happen yet, and it seems to be, you know, there's going to be a long road ahead here.
4: What's disappointing to me is the steps that were missed. Um, I look at other cases, like let's, you know, not not to make light of this, but Michael Vick and the dogs, you know, there was such an outcry about um, what happened with animals, and then you have a person, a human being, who is not even viewed as a person, who was shot down in the street by people who used to be in law enforcement, who did not have post-certification when they were in law enforcement. Um, My big concern that I have that no one else has uh, mentioned is the fact that the um, father, he um, received a text message from the police department asking him to help to police the neighborhood. And if he was not a certified police officer, I think there should be some limits as to what you request citizens to do as far as policing people, because they don't have, obviously he didn't have his post certification, which would mean he didn't have proper training anyway when he was on the force. So for him to be out in a neighborhood and patrolling people and his individual biases were um, obviously um, too much for him to overcome. And this young man lost his life It's just too much. And as a mother, I can't imagine how his mother feels. And black or white, I don't want to see it happen to anyone else's mother either. You can't just assume someone is a suspect because you're afraid of them. And I am really sick and tired of the narrative that the police are afraid of people. So they shoot them and kill them. Um, There's been too many cases like that. And there's no way that every one of these people could be justified just because they say that they were afraid. It doesn't make sense to me that you would pursue a person for four or five minutes that you're afraid of and then bring other people with you. And then that person loses their life and essentially becomes a murder victim. And you want to go to court and use the defense that you were afraid for your life. If you were so afraid, why wouldn't you just call the police and wait for the police to show up and do their job? Furthermore, the time that it took, um, for this case to come to light so everyone could actually see what happened to this young man. It's, it's very disgusting and it's unacceptable. And it should be unacceptable for anyone who would um, view this and look at the situation, if it was your family member, for it to take 74 days before we actually get a really good look at what happened. It's just, it's a miscarriage of justice and it's inappropriate on so many levels. And as a parent, I'm upset about it, but at a, as a citizen, I'm also very upset and I'm very disappointed because I'm thinking and hoping that there have been some advancements in how we will treat each other. And um, it looks like we're gonna have to fight for it because we're just still not there yet. It's better, but we're not there yet. And um, I don't wanna see another family have to go through this. I don't think that um would have not been done. I think this young man would have been gone and his mother just would have been left to grieve by herself. And to me, that is unacceptable. And it would be unacceptable to me. Um, it, it doesn't matter as far as, you know, the race to me, any person who was treated this way, whether it's a poor person, because in the South, um, indigent people also do not get adequate representation. And that's not right. I think representation that um, an appropriate um, protections in the law should belong to everyone. And as minorities, we can't ask for it and then not give it to other people as well. And I think that we're at a place now where what we need to start looking at is people who we do have work and police in our communities. We have to look at that person and we have to do a little bit more soul searching and say, is this person's character? you know, Is this sufficient? Because um, unfortunately your bias plays a part in everything. And there has to be a different type of screening. There has to be um, different types of ways that we evaluate people that we give that much control, especially when you are putting in the law enforcement, because I'm very, very concerned about the fact that they text these gentlemen and ask them to watch out for this neighborhood, knowing that they were not qualified. That is, that is a major concern for me.
1: Thank you. Thank you for sharing your views. Uh, very important topics here. One of the things we try to do on this show, we're, we're called American Real for a reason, R-E-A-L. We t- like to talk about real issues, right? The things that the mainstream media may not always cover. And one of the things that I'm passionate about is, is talking about racism because it is still very much alive, unfortunately, in our country and around the world, but really in our country. So I want to help. I want to do whatever I can to help shed light and, and get the voices heard. And you're right. It doesn't matter, Natasha, whether someone is black or white or it doesn't matter. It, it's justice, you know, justice for all. And that's, the name, you know, of, of this segment. So Michiela, I'd, I'd like to ask you, you you do some work for the double, uh, NAACP. Um, how are you feeling about this? How is your uh, organization um, impacted? What is happening, especially during this, you know, difficult time of COVID where we typically don't, you know, we're, we're still kind of cooped up and, and don't have our normal, um, you know, resources to be able to get out and and spread the word about these uh, very important issues?
6: First off, um, I know that the quarantine had me inside my home with my family. And looking at my husband, my daughter, my children, actually evaluating different things that may have been necessary that I have not been able to evaluate throughout my family life was evaluated at that time. Being having a fear of an essential worker, my husband, industrial worker, coming home every day, and me taking his clothes off, making sure I throw it in the trash bag, making sure he don't touch anything, going into a oh a, a, a new normal. So having a new normal every day sort of awakened me because there was one new normal that I have not seen yet, and that was the overcoming of racism in our system. We have been fighting in the NAACP for years, ever since 1908, when there was anti-lynch laws that came a part of this generation. We were sick and tired of our black man being lynched. So at the end of the day, we had to come up with a new normal. And the new normal that we have now created is an organization of community leaders, different organizations together as one, putting aside self decreasing ourselves, increasing the mighty God, because the only way that we can move forward is together. And because we have that understanding, because National Association of the Advancement of Colored People is the name of the organization, we must be advanced in oneself. So coming back to the point of, it starts at home. If we do not come outside of our house, it would not start. If we do not and uh, if we don't come together and come as a collaborative effort of direct action, that will be the petition signing it. That will be marching, coming together. That will be organized, organizing different demonstrations. That will be being um, holding hands ask answering phone calls, making sure that a mod family is actually being um, able to have anything that is necessary for them to have. Also making sure all the laws are followed, making sure that we do everything necessary to actually get direct action. Cause it's time for us to put, fire under the systematic racism belt because we're sick and tired of our black men dying. We're sick and tired of us being incarcerated. We're sick and tired of the um, economic disparities because even with the PP loan during the COVID-19, business owners was not able to actually have access to the funding. So let's be real. The disparities have already been there for a long time. So now it's time for us to wake up, get out of the house, start with ourselves and actually contribute to the Mott family, because this win right here, and thank God for Reverend Pharrell Malone for wanting to organize. Thank God for my state president, James Woodall, wanting to actually pursue justice. Thank God for Gerald Griggs. He has been a justice fighter for a long time. Ever since I walked into NAACP, I have seen him fight so many different fights. I have seen him talk in so many different cases. I have seen him say things that people didn't even listen to. But now when the video hit, we are numb to it. It's time for a new normal, because when we looked at that video, I know we had to look at it twice. Being black, you looked at that video two times before you said what happened or is it real? And that—that that is what happened to us. When we see something in video form of a black man being shot in the street, we didn't look at it and say, oh, my God, did that happen? No. We said, what? What? Can I believe it? We had to play it again. When we played it again, we said, you know what? That's what's been going on. And I'm sick and tired of it. So now it's time for us to wake up and do what we have to do in order to get it done.
1: Powerful.
0: Let me tell you what happened for me that even brought her that much closer home. I, 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 about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, I buried a member. Uh, We had to of course have the, the service at the graveside. And it was one of my members that was 110 years old, Mrs. Margaret Smart. She lived to be 110 and her, her one struggle in life. And, and, and she literally said, Reverend, uh, I I think I lived to be so long because I have to, I haven't forgiven people for what they did. She was born in 1909 and she saw literal people lynched in Atkinson County, Willicucci, Georgia. She saw a lynching that took place and they cut the man's head off and placed it on the the, the fence post of the county courthouse. She saw a man tied up on a tree alive, gas placed on him and they burned him alive. And as I stood at her, coffin to commit her body to the ground, the only thing I could think about was 111 years later, yet in southern Georgia, we're still dealing with a lynching. We're still dealing with a hanging. And it must, as as, as Sister Brockington said, we are sick and tired of being sick and tired. And we're tired of begging officials to do the right thing. So, therefore, Martin Luther King says, the only thing I want you to do is to be true to what you put on paper. Whatever your documents say, be true to that. So, therefore, it's on paper. Not that we ask the governor to take him down. We're going to do that. And, and Attorney Griggs is helping to work with uh, Demetrius and others uh, to help make that happen. We're going to do that. We're going we're to go to the state bar. We're going to go to the governor. We're going to go to the attorney general. But we have within our constitutional authority the ability to take him out. And by taking him out, it uncovers the systematic racism that exists. It uncovers the fact that in Georgia, South Georgia right now, that two, three white men can go and hunt down a black man and kill him and shoot him like a dog in the streets and then go home that night and get in your bed and go to sleep. That is totally unacceptable. And we must rise to the occasion to fight it systematically, to organize systematically, to, as, as we say, no justice, no peace. Southern Christian, Southern Christian Leadership Conference, (SCLC), every other organization have chosen to join together to say this will not happen anymore. This is our first step. We will not stop until justice rolls down like water and righteousness
1: like a mighty stream. Attorney Griggs, I'm, I'm curious, what is it like in the justice system, for you, uh, are you dealing with this day in, day out, on minor cases and major cases? I mean, how bad is it? We again, we need to bring light to what's happening behind the scenes.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been in the justice system for 16 years. I've handled some of the uh, the biggest cases in Georgia history. I've been on the front lines for a long time uh, with the association and you know, the one thing that I've learned in this battle is that this is an ancient battle that we've been fighting for a long time. And I look to the wisdom of my my four parents uh, in the struggle, that being Johnny Cochran and Thurgood Marshall uh, for strength, um, because this battle um, has been raging, like my sister said, for 110 years. And listening to, to the Reverend talk about uh, the lynchings that occurred down in South Georgia and it occurred in North Georgia and it occurred all over the South, uh 4,439 to be exact, 73% of them uh in, in the South. I think back to Emmett Till and I think to Trayvon, I think to Mike Brown. And now I think to my dear brother, Ahmad Arbery. And I say to this generation, it's it's our turn. It's our turn to deal with this problem, but it's our turn to end this problem. And that's why I love that, uh historical organizations that are steeped in history, whether that's the Association, uh which is 110 years old, or the SCLC with my dear brother and friend, uh, Pastor Martin the King established, whether that's NAN, National Action Network with Al, Reverend Al Sharpton, or Rainbow Push with Reverend Jesse Jackson, all coming together with a new brand of activists from the BLM tradition. And we are all coming together like they did in the 60s. And What we're saying is they said we shall overcome. What we're saying is we're ready. We're ready for y'all. And and what they need to understand is we have professionals. We have lawyers. We have pastors. We have activists. But more importantly, we have the people. And the people, like my dear sister Fanny Newhamer said, we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. So we're going to hold some politicians accountable. Gone are the days where you can just show up in our community and ask for the vote. And we now hold you accountable we holding you accountable and and what we need to send a message in south georgia to every district attorney in all 159 counties in georgia if you think you're going to allow this to happen and nothing is going to happen to you yes you are sorely mistaken because again my parents fought my grandparents fought and died my great-grandparents fought and died. My great-great-great-grandparents fought and died to see this day that we will become our ancestors' greatest dreams. Because you know what? We sick and tired of asking. We're not asking anymore. We're telling you. You're going to be what you say on paper. Because my dear brother Thurgood in 1955 forced this country to be what it says on paper. That was Brown versus the Board of Education 66 years ago. And a young pastor spoke at an NAACP function celebrating that. And his name was the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So we all know what it takes. And now what I'm excited about is this generation is seeing it in action. So you ask me what it's like to be in the criminal justice system. It's sort of like this. Every day I see young African-American men being shipped off to prisons, around the state. But then I see a disparate treatment of justice for people that don't look like us. So when I saw my dear brother in the street bleeding and dying, I said, Travis and Gregory McMichael, I'm going to make it my personal responsibility that you go to prison. And then when I saw Roddy Bryant sit there and film it and then get on television with his lawyer and say, oh, I was just a victim. I said, I'm going to make it my personal mission. You go into jail. And here's what I'm going to tell everybody else. Every single day that they're in court, we're going to make it our personal business to be there. So they get a life sentence and they understand you will not take citizens from our community's life and not be held accountable. So we're looking at the judge. We're looking at the prosecutor. We're looking at the defense attorneys and we're saying justice will apply equally in this state. You will see what you say on paper. Yes.
1: Thanks, Attorney Griggs. Uh, I, I just want to say this at this point, as a white male, I am sick and tired. Amen. Amen. I'm sick and tired. I, I mean, it's, I, I had to watch this video with my kids.
2: Wow. Yeah. And the video, was- I watched it at least 15 times. And I mean, each time I watched the video, oh, like, like Michaela said, I could not believe in 2020 I'm sitting here watching an African American male who is jogging down the street be executed in real time, and That's then what right. made it more sickening is that after the video came out, folks were trying to they were what? trying to use the law to justify it. So I made it my mission to break down the law to mm-hmm. an understandable format to show no Georgia law does not protect this, but there are individuals within the legal system that want to, so we need to call them out.
1: And here's my question, like right off the bat, where are where are the leaders within Georgia? Where are they? I don't care what color they are. Where are they? If I if I'm a congressman, if I'm a senator, if I'm in law, whatever whoever I am, if I have any authority whatsoever within Georgia, where are they? Are they crying out? That's a question. I don't know. Some are they of, crying out?
2: Some of them are, but here's but, the thing. The birthplace of civil rights and the birthplace of Dr. King, all of them should be crying out. Absolutely. The words that say they march with Dr. King should be marching right now. And so what we are saying in the association is the giant is woke. And if you don't understand that we're not going to take this, if 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 Ida B. Well spent her entire career writing about lynchings, if WEB Du Bois formed an organization to fight lynching and you're not talking about this, you're an elected official in Georgia, you might want to rethink your career. So, yes, the governor has finally said a few things. A couple of senators have said some things. Uh, Certain elected officials in other cities have tiptoed around the issue. But like my sister said, with the Michael Vick situation, everybody elevated their voices for the dogs. For the dogs. So when are we gonna elevate our voices for black folks?
0: Yes.
1: I'd like to turn to Anthony. Uh, You are in law school right now. Talk about what it's like, and I know we're not in school right now because of what's what's happening with COVID, but what's the temperature of your fellow classmates in general Mm -hmm. around racism? Do you feel there's a new generation emerging where people are a bit more caring? Um, uh, and and, and aware and want to make this justice change for good? I think I'm
3: constantly surprised by the number of individuals who do come and advocate when they see injustice um, that our community has been facing for the past 400 years and that has extended into this contemporary time. However, at the same time, there are still a majority of my peers who believe in a colorblind system and a colorblind nation, but colorblindness renders these disparities um, irrelevant almost, but you have to take into account the race of an individual to to address the systematic um, racism that we encounter. Um, I think we are pressing for a post-racial nation far too quickly without doing the work to address the the inequalities on the ground. And in a certain way, when we do not address those inequalities, we see situations such as this happen time and time again. I'm 25 years old. I've seen Trayvon Martin. I've seen Eric Garner. I've seen Michael Brown. I've seen Sandra Bland. I've seen Ahmaud Arbery. Shot, killed, lynched. Um, and yet and still, we 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 peddle this notion that we are beyond racism. We're not yet. And I want to continue to advocate that there's still much work to be done. Um, this is a moment now where much growth can be acquired. However, much work is also required from law students and advocates alike.
1: Reverend, I know you have uh, there's there's some uh, marches planned. Can you tell us about what you know? What's the next steps? What's the strategy? How can we bring people um, up to date on on what's happening next with your movement?
0: We are uh, direct action, uh, and when we deal with direct action, there's some things that that needs to take place. Uh, there, there is really the. The, the format that Dr. King utilized during the struggle, and I've been blessed to have walked with Dr. C.T. Vivian, and and I was trained by Dr. Ed Nixon. Ed Nixon was the man uh, who worked with A. Philip Randolph of the Pullman Porters Union, and literally was the one who Rosa Parks called to uh, bond her out of jail. He literally, I have a picture right on my wall of myself and Dr. Ed Nixon. It inspires me, and the man right behind my my back is is the one who inspired me the most, and that was my father. Uh, he was the Malcolm X and the Martin Luther King. He could cut you and he could love you all at the same time. And, and Martin Luther King says, we must love our enemies so much until we force them to do what is right. So it is incumbent. We, we, we're working with a coalition to make sure we send a letter to the district attorney and demand that he step down. simultaneously. We're working and sending a letter to the governor. Uh, we can do a massive campaign in the governor's office. Uh, a few years ago, they they uh, demoted the first Black African American, the first African American post commander here in Waycross on her last day of probation, three hundred sixty-five days. On the three hundred sixty-fourth day, they demoted her to buck sergeant. We literally, I uh, told the governor, we're going to sit down in the middle of was an intersection of seven highways right here. And we're gonna sit down until justice comes. He flew his public safety person down. And because people respond to direct action. I'm reminded of what Johnny Ford said, Mayor of Tuskegee and the uh, founder of the World Council of Black Mayors. He told us in 1984 at my alma mater in Troy, African-American society. He says, we are smart and we are intelligent and we can negotiate in your suites. But if we can't get it in the suites, we'll take it back to the streets. We are prepared to do so. So on the 30th, on the 30th of May, which is next Saturday, we are planning to visit, to take a visit to (laughs) the six courthouses of the Waycross Judicial Circuit. We have filed, officially went into office today. They will enact them on Tuesday for a recall petition to recall George E. Barnhill Sr. as district attorney. We will have those petitions in hand by Friday. On Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, we will meet at the Waycross of the Ware County Courthouse for our initial rally and petition signing. We have a caravan that will leave there on the way to Charlton County. We're gonna go by and visit George Barnhill's house. We wanna make sure we want to make sure that he see us and that we want to make sure that he does not rest easy. Then we're going to go to Folkestone, Georgia, Charlton County. We're going to gather signatures there. Then the caravan is going to take us to Brantley County, Nate Hunter, at their courthouse. We're going to gather the signatures there. Then we're going up to Blackshear, Georgia, Pierce County, their county seat. We're going to gather signatures there. Then we're going to Alma, Georgia. Of Bacon County, we're going to gather signatures there. Then we're going to go to Coffee County, Douglas, Georgia, and gather signatures there. And we have 90 days to gain the signatures that we need. And understand this, we're not begging at that point for him to step down. We're not saying be reasonable and step down. We have the law on our side. The Constitution is on our side. We're going to snatch him out of office. We're going to vacate the office. They can do what they're going to want to do with the GBI and everybody else, but they'll do it as a citizen. He's going to be a regular citizen because we're going to yank him out of office. We So therefore, we're asking everyone, it's going to be a peaceful protest. We're asking everyone from all across the nation to come with us on the 30th to stop and to get in your car and travel with us on a caravan. You see, my, my calling came from God, and the Lord said, And and my calling came out of Joshua. He says, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that I've given unto Moses, I've given it unto you. So we got to put our feet on it. And then the third chapter of Joshua says that that, that things happen when the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant put their foot in the water. It is incumbent that the clergy, that the pastors, the pastors who led us through where we came, were Martin Luther King and Ralph Abernathy and and, and, and C.T. Vivian and Joseph Lowry. It is incumbent upon the pastors to not try uh, to be accepted by people, but to stand for God. My pastor used to say, Reverend Arnold McKinney said, ain't nothing worse than a yard dog that won't bark. Pastors must get out of our pulpits and go back to the streets and effect and make change. So we invite everyone.
1: And just so everyone. we're clear, just so we're clear, when you say yank him out of office, you're saying do this legally through the oh, yes. process of getting 30%. Was that the percentage of?
0: 30%. Okay. And,
1: okay. And, and anything you really, want to add there on from a legal standpoint?
0: Yes. See, the the so, office belongs to the people. Yeah. So
2: basically under the Georgia constitution, you need 30% of the registered voters, uh, to have a recall election, uh, a recall of that position. So that's what the pastor's saying. And I must applaud him, um, in the tradition, old tradition of, of African American, uh, movement. It's always been the pastors to lead. It's always been, you know, uh, whether it's Dr. C.T. Vivian, like you yes. said, Reverend Joseph Lowry, uh, you know, Reverend, uh, Bernard Lafayette. Yes. I mean, they've always led. And so for them to to give that clarion call of it's time to rally, I think we're going to feel the ground shake in Georgia. And I think we're going to see uh either uh the DA go willingly or go by force of law in one of those um ways. But I, I'm just I'm just thankful for Reverend Malone to put the call out there. Um, you know, something inside is just saying, yeah, that's, that's what we need to do. So I'm, I'm excited about that, but that's, that's the process. 30%, uh, you know, voters, uh, in that, in that, that district, uh, need to sign the the petition. And I think when they see, um, a caravan, uh, coming through all those counties, that's, I gotta be honest. I've been studying movement my entire life. I've never seen a caravan, uh, go through six counties. That's new. So I'm, I'm excited. Amen.
1: Natasha, let's go back to the home front. Uh, what are your children saying? How, how are they talking about this? What are their friends saying? Give us some insight into that generation. I think it's called Gen Z now. Uh, what are they saying at home?
4: Well, they're my son, especially he hates that every time he goes outside. I'm like, you have to, cause he's 23 and he's, he's in college, but with the COVID-19, he is home. So he's like, mom, do I have to? text you I'm out with my friends every time so let me know you made it where you're going let me know when you're coming home if not I am going to call you and you're not going to like that I'm going to call you over and over I have to know where you are I have to have that much from you and one of the things I explained to him you know things are different you know for me growing up because I grew up in upstate New York and in upstate New York we didn't have as many challenges as they have here, you know. And um, some people say you do. I didn't. And um, I come from a mixed race family, and so my kids are used to everybody. You know, we welcome. I have every every race of person and child comes through my home, and they're all welcome. It's fun to go to the grocery store when my son was about five or six, and I would have Asian children, Hispanic children, Black children. Um, and everybody would call me mom. So, um, that, that was fun, especially the looks we would get being here in Georgia, but uh, (laughs) I always wanted them to to get to meet and, and get to, um, get an understanding with other people because I think that's the way that we all grow. It's not just about going to different, you know, I went to a Chinese restaurant or I went to, you know, and I, I took a Spanish class life in getting an understanding about people is getting, um, it's really about taking the time to get to know people. And once you get to know people, you'll find out they're not that much different than you. We all really do have a lot of the same challenges, but you won't be so afraid of them. So then that way you see someone different than you because you don't have to be defensive. You don't have to, you know, try to attack them. You don't have to be afraid of them. The other side of the coin for me is when I did grow up in upstate New York, um, my grandparents live at 21 Eldred Street and my um, great grandmother lived upstairs. And my great grandmother was a black woman and she died at 104 years old. But being a little girl, you know, it was fun to sneak up there to see whoopee And you know, we weren't really supposed to go up there because we would get cookies and all kinds of things. But my grandfather made a point to bring his mother to live upstairs in his house so that he can make her life better. He made her life better, but when we spent time with her and she would change her clothes, we've seen the remnants from the abuse that she suffered when she lived in the South. We saw that. So I got to see that side, but then I also got um, education and I got some other things that I may not have gotten if I was in another place. So I'm very thankful for that. And I'm thankful for you, um, Roger, for having us on and for taking the time to do this, because I know right now probably isn't... Um, exactly comfortable, but I do thank you for um, giving an opportunity for everyone to be heard. And the experience I had in life was, I had the opportunity to learn from everybody. And I think that the more people get that, and with the younger people, we're seeing it. Everybody is getting an opportunity to learn from each other. Younger people are uh, more receptive than the older people because they don't have the fear. They're not afraid of the judgment. They hang out with whoever they want to when they get to college and make friends. And we must not forget that throughout the whole entire civil rights um, struggles, there have been other people of other races who have lost their life right alongside us. And I think that we need to respect that. We need to appreciate it. And we need to welcome everyone into this fight. And um, it's not the best. It's not what it used to be. It has gotten better, but we still have a way to go. And I would like to see everyone come together and just simply look at something, is that right? And if you know it's not right, I would like to ask for people of all races to stand up and do something about it and fight with us. And there may be times we have to fight with them, but I just want it to be fair. And I want us to start looking at each other as human beings, instead of, you know, um, these people, you know, don't have as much value as others. I think everyone has the same value. And I think the more we get to learn about each other, and the more time we put in spending with getting to know each other and working together, um, you, would, you would think that would have happened by now, but in, in a lot of ways it hasn't. And I also think that um, as Black people, we have some biases that we need to work on, especially if we want to welcome other people in to work with us. You can't attack them. You have to hear them out. You have to give other races the opportunity to, um, you know, to, 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 to hear you and you hear them. And, you know, sometimes you're going to hear ideas and other things are going to be different than what we've traditionally done. But now, you know, a long time ago, it was about marching. Okay. And now it's about um, legal rights. So there's going to be people from all races that are going to be brilliant as far as what we need to get things done. And I think that we really need to put our best foot forward. And we're going to have to um, put down some biases on both sides, on all sides. I'm going to say the same thing, the Asians, Hispanics, blacks, whites, and we're gonna have to bring this thing together and we're gonna have to work um, for equality for everyone. And we're looking at racism um, as black and white. And um, I have a friend that's from Africa and he actually, he shocked me. He says, why are you people here in the United States so mad? What's wrong with black people? And I said, what do you mean? And he says, well, In Africa, we still have slaves. We have slavery in Libya. We, You know, the people are being sold and, you know, being transported over there. It's still traffic. And why are you guys not mad about that? But you're mad about the great life you have here. Wow. And that was shocking to me. But it was a learning experience. And that was from another Black man who um, had a different life experience. So we have to also, we have to start considering where people come from. And I think we have to start working together to get an understanding among people, period, in general. And I think that if we can do that, um, you will create your tribe of people who want to help you to achieve your objectives and everybody work together. But I think everybody has to get something out of it. And I would just like to see it keep getting better and better and better. And I know it's going to take time. So I also am going to, um, well, I've, I've been talking with my son about it. And I also have a daughter And I want to start bringing them in on more things, too, because, you know, they're lucky. You know, they they haven't had to experience things because as a mother, you know, I do what I got to do to always soften the blow for them. Because, you know, I I, that's just what what moms do. But at the same time, you know, there's going to be a point in their life where they have to stand up as adults and they have to carry the torch and they have to continue what we start. We can't just stop with us. It has to go on and on and on, and it will always get better. But just like we expect the, the um, fair treatment um, other people from other people, we also have to be fair. So it's just something I hope that, that we are all able to work together and work with other people. And we, we want everybody to come and join us and help us to get this done.
1: So well said, uh, Natasha. Thank you. I want to bring in here uh, Commissioner Olivia Pierce here, who has just joined the panel. If you can, just give a quick introduction of who you are, where you're from, and your role in this organization.
5: Well, thank you very much, uh, Roger. Uh, I'm Olivia Coley Pearson. I am from Douglas, Georgia, where I reside currently. Uh, I elected the city council 21 years ago, uh, prior to to working in the city council. I've uh, worked in the community all of my life because my mom was a civil rights activist. Uh, she was president of NAACP, uh, secretary of NAACP for Coffee County. Um, I'm currently the lead chairperson for the Coffee County Southern Rural Black Women's Initiative for Social and Economic Justice, uh, which is known also as SRBWI so i've been working in the community all of my life from about 14 years old going to meetings with my mom i want to just thank you for giving us an opportunity to come on to show people what we are trying to do our fight for justice and there's various organizations that are organizing and coming together as one because at the end of the day to achieve justice it takes more than just isolated groups it takes unity And that's what's happening here. And it it, is such a tragedy an unjust tragedy. What happened to uh, Mr. Aubrey, my condolences and prayers goes out to his family. Uh, You don't know what they're going through. If you've never lost a child and I've lost a child before. So it's really unbearable, especially birthdays, mother days, Christmas, and all of those times. So, so my prayers are with them, but, what I want to, my point that I would like to make is, you know, even back during slavery, we had uh, the abolitionists who assisted the slaves to get the freedom. During the civil rights era, we had white people who came on the front line, Dr. King, to fight for civil rights. Now, in this time, it's gonna still take, it's gonna still take all the races coming together to end this atrocity that we are faced with because as a people in the United States, we cannot become and reach our full potential as long as we continue to allow racism to divide us. And that's what we're doing. So my heart and my prayers goes out that we will achieve equality at the end of this. And a final thing that I would like to say, I'm an elected official, and from an elected official standpoint, we have way too many elected officials sitting back quietly. I I pray to you all, that's elected officials that's looking to please get involved. We can't do this alone. You might be subjected to criticism or whatever, but just do this one thing, like my mom always taught the nine kids of us, do unto others as you have them to do unto you. And if we treat people like we want to be treated, a whole lot of these problems that we're encountering now, we would not be faced with them. So in finality, I say, I I need elected officials, we need clergy. Before Reverend Malone sent me the text to join the cause he was having, I was praying. I was praying to God. I said, Lord, after I heard about the young man, Mr. Aubrey, I said, something has to change. Something has to be done. And a few days later, I got a text message from Reverend Malone. And this is the beginning of a movement and it's a movement for justice. And we will be successful because we're on doing the right thing and we're in God's hands. So. Thank you for allowing us to be on here. Thank you for your comments as to how you feel about all of this. And that's what it's going to take. It's going to take all of us working together to eradicate these problems. Thank you.
1: No, It's my pleasure, and it's actually my honor and my duty. You know, I feel I'm called to help in whatever capacity I can. Uh, I did want to turn over to Michela, see if you have any last words here uh, before we turn it back over to the Reverend.
6: I believe that if um, first um, I would like to say, do not ask what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. And it's really time for us to like, uh, Commissioner Olivia Pierce to say is unify, come together, Push to the side all your feelings and do what you have to do to make a stand. And I believe we have already done that part. I believe that's already been said and done. But we need more.
0: Yes, we we're, we're going to um, we'll we'll begin a very aggressive social media campaign tomorrow uh, to get the word out across the United States uh, because I think any anybody who seeks justice, anybody who s- seeks that which is right will recognize that it is time to act. I, I was talking with uh, Attorney Griggs the other day, and, and we just kind of cringe for a little bit because we're having to go through this again. <laughs> I was in the audience in, on, on, on March 23rd 1968 when Martin Luther King came to Waycross and spoke and and then just a week later he was killed in cold blood and here in 2020 I I told my folk this year that we're going to have 2020 vision I didn't realize how clear our vision would become and seeing the realities of what has taken place but when Jesus stood up in the temple Joshua, his name is Yoashua, the Greek word is Jesus, but his name is Yoashua. When he stood up, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The, the Jesse Jackson say, when the lights go out, all of us are the same color. <laughs> we, we, we're poor. Uh, and he's anointed me to preach, uh, uh, to heal the brokenhearted, uh, to preach deliverance to the captive and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is now the acceptable year to stand up for justice, to stand up for right. And I call upon all citizens, all citizens, no matter what your background is, all citizens to stand with us to get justice for Ahmad. Because Ahmad's blood in the streets of Brunswick, Glen County, Georgia set a movement in place that will revolutionize America. No America will not be the same, not because of COVID-19, but because of Ahmad Aubrey. because this sets the course for justice to happen. Roger, I want to thank you for taking the time and the interest and the concern. Uh, for sharing with us, and we look forward to future broadcasts, so that so that we might enlighten, enlighten people, and educate people on uh, the
1: process of how we get to justice. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you all, and have a great night. God bless. Thanks for tuning into American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv, TV, or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review as that helps others find our show. I am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support. If you'd like to be part of our inner circle or want one-on-one coaching, check out the American Real Learning Academy where we have self-help groups and courses so you can build the best you. We also have a new Facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world. If you want to go even further, maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast, contact me today to see if we could help. You can reach me through Instagram or Facebook or email me directly at roger at americanreal.tv. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week.